Well, hey, guys. I, I just envisioned coming up here and just having this awkward pause where I just get to look at everybody, and <laughs> see your faces. It's such a joy. And I, I found myself on repeat this morning, like every one of your kids, I'm like, how did you get so tall? It's only been a year. You're so big now. I didn't say that to the adults. That's, that's a little weird. But we are so grateful to be back here with you. Uh, we've been excited. The kids have been looking forward to it. Uh, such a joy to see you again. It's a joy to see familiar faces, but as much of a joy to see brand new faces that I don't know. Um, God is growing your church and so grateful to see what God is doing. And, and uh, I do a few thank yous to give out. Nate has already mentioned just how you, as a church, have been so faithful in how you sent us uh, to Maryland. And so thank you for your faithfulness in that, in the continued mission. Such a joy to know we're together in the work of the gospel. And uh, even though we don't get to see each other regularly, uh, we are still brothers and sisters. We're still family. We're still serving Jesus. We're still seeing the gospel go forth. And then when it's all said and done, we've got the promise of spending eternity together. So uh, if you don't like each other now, we better learn to do that because we're going to be together. So it's, it's a joy to be back. It's a joy even though the snow met us. Uh, we, we flew in Friday, and it was a balmy 80-something degrees. And, uh, and Chloe uh, actually was praying for snow, so I'm going to blame her for, for that. They woke up this morning and looked out the hotel window. It's snowing, and I'm like, yay. <laughs> so we thought maybe after Easter we'd be safe, but then I remembered all the years we lived here, and that, that's no guarantee. So we, we are truly happy to uh, be able to experience uh, some cool weather. It's a little hotter in Maryland. Just a quick update from the church there at Cross Point. Uh, we pray for you often. Uh, we told the, that church there about you. And, and of course, with uh, Josh coming out and preaching for us, just a, a tangible connection there. We're going to have Nate out soon uh, just for them to be able to understand uh, the brothers and sisters and the family we have here uh, that we're on mission together. It was a great time that I'm sure Josh has given you guys updates on our, our uh, trip abroad uh, to be able to train the Pakistani pastors and then also to uh, go by Italy and have some good pizza and pasta and almost get like physically ill by eating so much good Italian food. So that was, it was a wonderful trip. God blessed us on that trip. Um, in Maryland, things are going well. As you probably already know, there, not only do we have a church there, but we have a Christian school K through eight, and so our, our um, attendance and our enrollment is at maximum capacity. They've got a waiting list, a great group of teachers that, that teach kids there. Um, I'm able to start easing into occasionally some classroom time and spending time with some, some junior high kids teaching Bible and uh, being able to pray with the staff. And I was telling some of the guys I'm spending almost as time, almost as much time with the school as I have been with the church, but it's been a beautiful thing. And so uh, we're encouraged at what God is doing, grateful for your prayers, uh, grateful for your faith in sending us, and it's just a joy to, to be back with you. One more thank you, and that is to Nate and, uh, and Andrew and Josh. Uh, you guys have just continued to do an amazing job in how you care for this church. And so thank you for all of your leadership. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your friendship. Um, it's a joy to be partnered with you. Even though we're states away, we're still partners. So, well, let's get our Bibles and let's go together to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1. My sermon today is entitled, Through Eyes of Grace. You may have heard the story about a family who had twin boys. And the boys were identical in appearance, but could not have been more different in personality. One was a pessimist, and the other an eternal optimist. And so one Christmas, the father decided he was going to try to kind of break them out of their shell a little bit. So he took their Christmas gifts and he put them in two separate rooms. And in the pessimist boy's room, the father put all kinds of toys and games and everything you could imagine that a kid would want. And in the optimist's son's room, the father put a big load of horse manure. Loving father, right? And so he let the boys loose, and then he came back a little while later checking on them. He goes into the pessimist boy's room with all the toys, and he finds the boy sitting there weeping. Son, what's the matter? What's going on? He's like, Dad, this is terrible. I've got all these toys. I'm never going to play with them all. And if I do, the batteries are going to run down. My friends are going to come over. They're probably going to break them all. This is awful. And so he goes into the optimist son's room, and that boy is laughing and joyfully digging through all the manure. And he says, son, what are you doing? And the kid pops his head out. He says, dad, with all this horse manure, there's bound to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> so we're not all that optimistic, but I think the point I want to share is it is natural. It is natural for all of us to see the bad, to see the brokenness of the world. That comes very easy. It is supernatural for us to see where God is at work in a broken world, where God is at work in one another, where God is at work in our own hearts. That takes supernatural help. And so to see through eyes of grace is something that that we need the Spirit to do in us and through us. So here's, here's the main thought of the message today. The gospel of Christ empowers us to see ourselves and each other through eyes of grace. As you know, the letter of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to a very messed up church, chaotic congregation, where they were getting just about everything wrong, and they were located in one of the most godless cities of the New Testament. In this particular letter, Paul begins to address divisions and problems in the church, like they were valuing the charisma of a speaker over their character or over the content of the message. People were actually getting drunk on communion wine. They were using spiritual gifts more like a, a personal one-upmanship, personal competition, rather than actually edifying each other. And that was just on a Sunday. All the rest of the week, they were living in sexual immorality and pride. They were greedy, taking each other from the same congregation, taking each other to court, suing one another. They were eating meals, sacrificed to idols. They were rebelling against their authorities like Paul and other spiritual authorities. Easy divorce, easy remarriage. It just seemed that they were reflecting more of the Corinthian culture than they were reflecting Christ. And yet, with all of that going on, Paul 
did something rather amazing. Paul took time to actually give God thanks for them. All of that, all of the problems, he pauses to give God thanks. This morning we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord to help us. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the precious, unique gift of fellowship with one another. What a joy it is to be together. And what a joy it is that we get to open your perfect, sufficient word for our hearts to be addressed, for our hearts to be encouraged, for our gaze to be lifted afresh to you, Jesus. Would you do that, Lord? In each one of us, would you lift our gaze to you that we would remember who you are and who we are in you and that you truly are at work for your glory and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We know that the Bible says that God is the one who calls those things that be not as though they were. That God can create something out of nothing. That even though there is nothing, he sees the something before the something ever is. The Bible also says that God declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, Isaiah 46.10. That means that God has the ability to see things not simply as they are, but how they're going to be. When God makes the acorn, he already sees the oak tree. But it's not only about God's perspective and what he can see, it's about God's power. Because God is the one that transforms the acorn to the oak. God does not simply sit back and watch something and say, no, no, I'll, I'll hold out because I know where it's headed. God is the one who causes that growth and that transformation. Long before you and I were ever saved, God saw us just as we were, blind, broken. We didn't pursue him. We didn't love him. We didn't want him. God saw us as we were, but he didn't only see that current state. He saw what we would become in him, what he would cause us to become in Christ. God saw us before there was ever anything to love, and he loved us still. He saw us because he already chose us, he saw us covered and cleansed in Christ when we would one day trust in his son, and he made that happen. Now that doesn't mean God is blissfully unaware of our sin, or that God ignores our sin. 
But what it means is if we are followers of Christ, that you and I are now clothed in Christ, that you have put off the old stained garments of sin and your old lifestyle, and you've put on the righteousness of Christ and how God sees you that way now. The gospel is the power that makes that change happen. And just as the gospel helps us understand that God sees us in this way, it also helps us see each other with different eyes. Remember, the gospel empowers us to see ourselves and one another the way God does, through a lens of forgiveness and grace. But let's all admit this doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally is we see in each other the things we don't like. We see in each other the things that are not like us or not what we prefer, the things that get on our nerves. And those are the things that the enemy can use, the small, insignificant things to slowly drive a wedge and divide us. And that's not what God's plan is for his people. And so as the gospel is changing our hearts and we get to see ourselves as the Father sees us, he begins to change how we see each other through that same lens. It's very important to see this morning how God is at work in you must come first. You must be able to see that. You must be able to praise God for that before you'll be able to see others in that same light. Because we all know if you feel like a disappointment to God, you'll see others as a disappointment. If you struggle with condemnation, you'll be much more likely to condemn others. But if you know what it is to live in the goodness of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy and love, and that's in the forefront of your minds and your hearts, then you'll be much more likely to see one another in that same way. Now, we don't want to just feel that or see that. We want to actually put it into practice, don't we? And that takes time. And I've spent enough time with you guys to know you do that well. You're intentional about that. In whatever gathering and in your relationships, you're intentional about wanting to see beyond what is obvious, what is broken in each, each, in each other, and we want to see beyond that into what Christ is doing. And so as we begin to see that, you know, as in our family of churches, we, we have that phrase, evidences of grace. We want to be aware of and looking for and celebrating evidences of grace, which means we want to see what God is doing in other people, and we want to tell them so. We want to see what God is doing. We actually want to take the time to say, can I just tell you, when you said that, or when you did that, or when you didn't do that, that was such an encouragement. I see God at work in you. Or if it's someone that you've known for many years, you can say, you know, I remember a time when that would not have happened for you, or you would not have done that or said that. Can I just tell you, I see Jesus growing you, and I just want to praise God with you. Evidences of grace can't just be seen, they must be shared. But they can't be seen and they can't be shared unless we understand that's how God sees us. And we see that and we celebrate it. Now we see Paul exemplifying this for us. He saw a very broken, a very messed up church where he's going to deal honestly with their brokenness and their sin and their disobedience and all the things that are wrong. But before he ever does that, Before he utters a word of criticism or correction, Paul recognizes evidences of grace. He gives God praise for them. 
And he reminds them of who they are in Christ, even if they're not acting like it right then. He says in verses 2 and 3, they are the church of God and they're sanctified in Christ. They're called to be saints. They are together or they're unified with others in Christ. And they are recipients of grace and peace from God. Paul's reminding them who they are in Christ. Because Paul knew that the grace of God is bigger than any sin we can commit. Paul had full assurance that God was at work in them and that God would be faithful to complete that good work that he started. That's why Paul was able to give thanks. Because his gratitude is not rooted in the guarantee that the Corinthians would change on Paul's timetable. His joy, his gratitude was rooted in the faithfulness of Christ himself, knowing that Jesus is faithful to complete what he starts, knowing that Jesus is faithful not only to save us, but to keep us, knowing that all of our hope and all of our joy is not misplaced when they're placed in Christ. Now, wouldn't we all want to be able to see ourselves and one another through that light? And I think in just this brief introduction that we read this morning, there there are a couple of transformational truths that Paul holds to that has has caused his his eyes, his heart, his perspective to change to be eyes of grace, and I think it can help us in the same way. First, we see that Paul relied on the transforming power of the gospel itself. Look again at verses 4 through 6. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And we know that the Corinthians were part of a Greek subculture that valued two things over anything else, speech and knowledge. So Paul takes what is a negative in their culture, and he basically commends the Corinthians by saying, church, in in a culture that elevates public speech and and man's wisdom and the, the endless chatter of philosophers that are vain and empty, I want to take a moment and thank God that you have been enriched, literally, to be made rich in Christ in godly speech and in godly knowledge or wisdom. So Paul takes what is a clear negative in their culture, and he points out an evidence of grace where God is at work. And he gives God thanks. It's hard to stay mad at somebody when you're praying for someone. It's hard to stay mad at somebody when you're thinking about God at work in them and giving God thanks. That doesn't mean there's never a time of of confrontation or correction or adjustment. We all need that. But we should always start with recognizing where is God at work so we can be reminded not just what's wrong, but where God is actually doing a faithful good work in one another. When we begin to see through eyes of grace, we won't only see people and things around us as they are, but we will begin to see them as they can be. Every person, every situation, knowing they can all be redeemed in Christ. 
We all love that familiar passage that in Romans 8, where all things will work together for the good, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That verse doesn't prevent bad things from happening, but that truth and many promises like it in Scripture remind us God is never absent in our trouble. He is never absent in our brokenness. And in fact, He is actively using those things to bring Himself glory and to cause our joy to increase. And a beautiful consequence or a beautiful benefit is that there's greater unity in the body. When we suffer, and we suffer together, we are reminded just how beautiful and faithful the fellowship of the body really is. All the benefits of God's beautiful grace, even in the worst of situations. The worst of things can be redeemed in God, not just because of how he sees, but because of his power, the transforming power of the gospel. Now, there are things in this world that I'd rather just kind of do away with that I don't want to attempt to redeem. And the older I get, technology is one of those things that I feel I'm falling farther and farther behind. Now, if anybody knows me, I'm never one on the cutting edge anyway. I still have the old iPhone 1. I don't use it. I just have it. Why do I still have it? I don't know because I don't like throwing things away. But I I don't adapt, adapt to technology very fast. And so, well, we have an iPhone 8 now. What are they up to, like iPhone 58? I don't know. So, but the point is, technology is something that I'm not keeping up with, and sometimes I look at the uses of technology, and I think, this is awful, this is terrible. But look at the beautiful things that God does through the use of technology. I am so thrilled that I get to communicate in an instant to pastors on the other side of the world, to let them know I'm praying for them, or to hear how God is at work in them, and, and obviously to be able to keep in contact with people anywhere on the planet. That's an amazing thing. Or to be able to, to read articles and, and all the resources we have at our fingertips and sermons and books and things that we would have to go and get. Now we just open up on our phones or our laptops. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, technology can cause damage, but that's just one example of how God takes something and can redeem it for his glory. It's very easy to see only the negative. It's very easy to point at the brokenness and the wickedness and the evil. And yes, there are times that that is appropriate. There are times we should identify wolves. We should identify false teaching. But we should never let that be our sole focus. If we're only seeing sin, we are missing Christ. If we only see the brokenness, we are missing what the cross is accomplished what the empty tomb that we just celebrated accomplished seeing through eyes of grace the transforming power of the gospel helps us get there unredeemed eyes can only see what's broken and what's wrong but eyes of grace with hearts that are transformed by the gospel can see where god is at work now let's make this personal maybe as you're you're here this morning you know that there's somebody in your life that seems irredeemable. Maybe it's that, that neighbor that you just can't get along with and you refuse to budge on whatever controversy. Maybe that's that family member that you maybe just gathered for Easter and you tried to share the gospel and they don't want to listen and you're, you're really frustrated. Maybe it's the spouse. Maybe it's a, a wayward child. Someone that you think, Lord, I just think they're too far gone. They're they're just beyond help. They're beyond reach. 
Or maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far. Your sin is too great. You've messed up one too many times. The damage is done. There's no way Jesus could forgive you. There's no way Jesus could redeem that situation. If that's you this morning, I've got good news. Jesus is not limited by what you have done because he points to what he has done. Your sin is not bigger than the cross. You have not gone too far that his arm can't reach and redeem and make something beautiful out of something awful. He promises to give beauty for ashes. Whatever your sin has burned down, whatever someone else's sin in your life has burned down, God can redeem and build something beautiful back. It's not going to be in your power. It won't be in your understanding. I can't figure out how God's going to do this. That's okay. He doesn't require you to figure it out before he does a good work in you. Trust him. Just as the power of the gospel transformed your heart, he can take others in your life and do that same thing. He can take circumstances in your life that seem too far gone and make something beautiful out of it. Paul, he's, he's seeing the Corinthian Christians through eyes of grace. He knows the gospel is at work in them. And as he sees the gospel at work in them, he's recognizing the gospel is also working through them. Look at verse 7. Paul says, so that you are not lacking in any gift, speaking of spiritual gifts. Now, I'm just, I'm doubly amazed at Paul's patience here, because if you've ever studied the book of 1 Corinthians, you know the Corinthian church is known for being crazy. <laughs> they were just completely unbuckled crazy when it came to spiritual gifts. Everybody speaking in tongues, nobody interpreting, everybody wanting to be heard. If they did have a prophecy or participation mic, everybody was wanting to elbow each other out of the way to get there. They didn't have mics back then, I know, just illustration. <laughs> they all wanted to be heard. It was all about me. They would elbow each other out of the way to take communion. It was just this ugly self-fest. And Paul says, Oh, man, I praise God, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. I'm like, really, Paul? That would have been a prime opportunity to say, you crazy Corinthians, stop it all. I forbid anybody to speak in tongues. I forbid anybody to prophesy because you're doing it all wrong. You're discouraging people who do want to hear the gospel. You're causing unbelievers who may come around to think you've absolutely lost it. So stop it. That's probably what I would have written, or maybe you too. Paul doesn't say that. I thank God for you. I thank God that you're not lacking in any gift. Now, we know Paul's going to give very specific correction and needed instruction on spiritual gifts in later chapters, but he is beginning with thanking God. In all the chaos, because Paul is able to know personally the transforming power of the gospel, he doesn't just look at what is, but he sees what can be through the power of Christ. And Paul goes ahead and he praises God for it. How? How is he able to do this? Well, you know Paul's story. He knows the transforming power of the gospel. When he was Saul, when he was on the road to Damascus, when Jesus arrested Saul's heart. He thought, Saul thought he was going to go arrest Christians. Jesus is the one that did the arresting. Here's this, this tyrant in Saul, 
who becomes the teacher, Paul. Here's this persecutor of the church who becomes an apostle of Christ. Paul knew the supernatural, transforming power of the gospel. That's how he could look at a Corinthian church and say, I praise God for you. Even if he's saying in the back of his mind, I don't see a lot of things praiseworthy, but I know God is at work in you. Because God didn't see anything lovable or promising in me when Jesus blinded me and saved me and really opened my eyes. It took me to be blind before I could really see. So I know what Jesus can do. And Paul is reflecting that kind of grace to this church. The end of verse 7. He says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. These words that are just so easy as we're reading this in devotions, it, we just, it's easy to skim past. The beautiful meaning here that Paul is recognizing not only the evidence of grace that's going on in them currently, but he sees and reminds them of the promise that God is not only working in them, Christ is not only working through them in this life, but also we have a promise of the life to come, that God's grace will not stop working. That our eyes of grace, that we can, as Paul says, like seeing through a dark glass or a dirty glass now, we're going to see clearly there. We get a taste of that grace now as far as seeing one another, but there we're going to see beautifully. We're going to see perfectly where God was at work in others and in ourselves. There's coming a day where all of our faith will become sight. Not only will we see Jesus, and that is the best vision, that is the best thing we'll ever be able to see. Seeing Jesus, being with Jesus, that's what's going to make heaven, heaven. But don't forget, we're going to see one another in a different light too. We're going to see the beauty of Christ in his fulfilled, completed work in each one of us. So can I encourage you, as I would want my own heart encouraged, don't wait till then. It may feel like you're straining to see, but don't wait until then to see the beauty of Christ at work in each other right now. The second truth that Paul leans on to see through eyes of grace is the faithfulness of Christ himself. So the transforming power of the gospel and the faithfulness of Christ. Starting in verse 8, Paul says that Jesus is the one who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see nine times there in nine verses, Paul points specifically to the person of Jesus. Paul knows that even though we can't see what God is always doing, Jesus is always at work. He can't even get out of the introduction of this letter before pointing multiple times to Jesus as the source of hope and grace and change. Paul's not in denial. He knows what's going on in the Corinthian church. He knows how bad it actually is. But Paul's hope is rooted firmly and exclusively in the promise that those who belong to Christ are not only saved by Christ, but will be kept by Christ. That when we see each other fail in our Christian witness, when we see each other fall and stumble, that we don't write each other off, we don't kick each other while we're down, but we help each other get back up. Because there is a promise, those who are truly 
saved and following Christ, you are kept in Christ. Salvation is not as fleeting as our feelings or our emotions or our attitudes or our outlook, but our salvation is rooted firmly in the unmovable, unshakable faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. And therefore, his love for you doesn't change when we fail. He is faithful to save and he is faithful to keep. And Paul says he will keep us guiltless to that day. Again, that can almost sound like hyperbole. It can sound like an exaggeration. Guiltless? Okay, time out. Lord, you you know me. (laughs) You know how people would describe me. Lord, you know what people don't. You know things I don't know about me. Guiltless is not a word I would describe myself. But you do, Lord. You promise to keep me guiltless. And we know why. We know how. Because Christ took on every ounce of our guilt. Every ounce of our shame. Even when we fail now as Christians who should know better, we still fail. But the promise is, He will keep us guiltless to the day of His return. Where we won't have to worry about failing anymore. We won't worry about sin or death or brokenness or fear or tears. They'll all be gone. And He promises to keep us to that day and beyond. Why? Because Christ is faithful. Yes, it is important to see our sin as part of being disciples, as part of growing, but we cannot simply see sin. To help us restore one another when we're caught in sin, we need to be able to do that, but we have to see beyond the problem to the solution. In C.S. Lewis's book, Prince Caspian, the second book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, there's a scene where uh, young Lucy sees Aslan, the lion, the one who is, who is the symbol and representative of Christ in the series. She says, Aslan, you're bigger. And then Aslan responds, that is because you are older, little one, he says. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Church, the the more we live for Christ, the more we see the beauty of Christ, the closer we get to Him through His Word and through the Spirit and through fellowship, the bigger Christ becomes in our eyes. As we grow, we see Him as bigger. He begins to become bigger than the problem that would have put us to the side, bigger than the sin that would have that heap condemnation on us. We begin to see Christ as bigger than those little offenses where where we would allow that to be dividing with one another. We see Christ as bigger. The closer we get to Him, the bigger we see Him. So we don't simply see our sin or one another, but we see Christ. We see that He's the one who forgives every sin. He's the one that removes the obstacles that it takes for us to live for Him. Or even through the obstacles, He grows us in faith and dependence on Him. In Christ, in Christ, we grow and He seems bigger to us. Seeing through eyes of grace means we see God as more faithful than all of our failings. As his goodness is more beautiful than any ugliness and wrong in the world. It means trusting in 
the transforming power of the gospel and the faithfulness of Christ, trusting in the things we cannot see, knowing that he is at work. Verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is faithful to save us and faithful to keep us, which means that our final hope will never be in our circumstances or in what we can do, but we will see Christ and the finished work of the cross. We will see that he's already fulfilled the law. He's already paid the penalty for our sins. He's already redeemed us and justified us. And he is continually sanctifying us. And he promises to keep us through this life and into eternity. That's your promise that you have this morning. That's where our unshakable hope is rooted in the faithfulness of Christ. I got to see a very real example of this recently. One of the elders of the church where I serve, his name is Jim. Jim had a heart attack, and he goes into the hospital. This was the night before he was going to have open heart surgery. And so I'm going into a situation that I've gone into many times, like visiting someone, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord to help me be an encouragement to someone who is likely facing a very scary, fearful moment in their life, maybe the most fearful moment. And so I'm, I'm going into the hospital room, and I'm, I'm prepared to see someone who needs encouragement. I walk in, and he's smiling, and he's laughing. And most surprising, he's eating hospital food like it's the best thing he's ever had. And I look at him, I say, Jim, how are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> okay, I'll play along. I'm good. <laughs> and as I talk to him, I, I see this. This man who is not depressed, not fearful. And by the way, if you've been through situations like that and you have been afraid, that there's no condemnation. I was just as surprised as anybody. I would probably be very afraid. But he was smiling. Oh, just praise the Lord. God is good. Whatever happens, I know I'm in his hands. I, I hope I continue living many more years. But if I don't, I'm going to get to see him sooner than later. He wasn't being flippant. It wasn't just positive thinking. This was a man who knew the faithfulness of Christ, who was able to see his own situation, a dire situation, looking at his own potential death face to face and able to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I left there encouraged. I thought I was going to be the one doing the encouraging, but I was really wrong. Jim came through surgery, he has made a full recovery, and he's going to be preaching in the pulpit in a couple of months. God's faithfulness, whether, whether it was in that healing or if God had taken Jim home, God's faithfulness can be trusted. Christ's faithfulness can be trusted. Not knowing what God is going to do next in our lives can be somewhat frustrating, can be somewhat scary. But if we're all honest, those are the moments where we grow to trust the Lord more. Where we grow the things that we don't understand, we begin to understand God more or trust Him more and say, Lord, I can't figure this out. I certainly hope you would do this now. But if you don't, I know you're still faithful. Because Jesus, I remember just how faithful you were on the cross, how you fulfilled every prophecy, how you fulfill every promise, 
and you won't stop now. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of attitude and eyes of grace that the Lord wants for his people, that we can see each other the way he does, but we need his help. So I just want to encourage you, if you you haven't been praying this recently, begin adding this to your prayers. Lord, help me see other believers like you see them. Help me to begin to see myself as you see me. Lord, I confess to you the brokenness around me is overwhelming. It's easy to live in discouragement and depression, but Lord, I need your help and I'm asking for it now. Help me to see where you are at work in me and all around me. And then get ready because God's going to answer that prayer. And when you begin to see things that perhaps you've been missing, it's time to open your mouth then and go tell that person. When you see God at work, when you see God's grace at work, go tell them. God has given us language and words, not only to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Christ, but to encourage those who do and say, I see Christ at work. I don't know if you've been discouraged lately. I don't know if you've felt really bad about your slow trajectory of spiritual maturity. Can I just tell you what I've seen? God is at work in you, and this is how. Thank you. Thank you for exemplifying the grace of God. Maybe right now you can remember a time, and it could have been years ago when somebody came up to you and said something like that. Out of the blue, unexpected. Maybe it was in a dark moment in your life where you just thought there is nothing redeemable about the person in the mirror right now. And somebody came up and said, can I just tell you how much you encourage me? Can I just tell you how much you cause me to give God praise? It almost be like one of those moments where somebody's waving and you wave and you realize they're not waving at you, they're waving at somebody behind you. It could have felt like one of those moments. You're you're talking to me? Because you can't be telling me I'm an encouragement. God at work in us seen through supernatural eyes because it is God's supernatural work that is doing it my friends don't lean on what you feel know by faith you serve a faithful God a faithful Savior who promises to complete what he starts so as I close this morning my encouragement keep doing what you're doing when it comes to seeing God at work in you and each other. And if you are struggling with condemnation this morning, if you're struggling with not being able to see past the darkness, you can't quite get past the hurt, the betrayal, the questions. You can't quite see yourself reconciling. You can't quite see the the light at the end of the tunnel. Can Can I just encourage you I believe God wants you to hear this morning very clearly. He is at work. He has not forgotten you. He is not distant. His arm is not shortened. His ear is not deaf. He sees you. And I promise you, whatever you're going through has not thwarted his plan. God is going to use that to show himself more glorious than you've ever seen him. To show himself more trustworthy than you thought. And just when you think you've understood the cross, understood the gospel, God opens up a brand new facet and says, let me show you just how beautiful it is that you haven't considered. It's only in that darkness that we're going to see that light shine all the brighter. 
and watch God do that in each other and don't hesitate to tell each other, I see Jesus at work. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for a sweet reunion this morning. Not only if I get to see these dear ones and spend time with them today, but Lord, the remembrance of good work that you started long ago. Work that you're continuing to do in us. Oh, Jesus, you you said on the cross, it is finished. Your work of redemption is complete. And yet, like, like a present, we get to open afresh every day. Lord, your grace, your mercies are new every morning. Lord, give us eyes to see where we've become blinded, where our hearts have become dull, that we would see afresh your good work in ourselves and in each other so that we would give you fresh praise again. And Lord, cause it to create a longing in our hearts for that one day when our faith will become sight, when your grace will be clear and evident, and we will see each other truly as you see us. Get all the glory in it, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.